We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So often we talk about players in a vacuum. We don't talk about them in terms of whether they're reliable, whether they're consistent enough. This is a conversation we have with Fred Zinke. Ariel Cohen uh, chimed in the conversation with me privately. I thought we'd take it public and discuss volatility and projections. Coming up next on the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm Jeff Erickson here, and I'm with my good friend Ariel Cohen uh, from the ATC Projections. You know him very well. You've seen him everywhere. Um, if you are in this industry, if you play in expert leagues, if you just follow the the, the podcast sphere, uh, Ariel is a huge, vital component of that. Ariel, I thank you so much for coming on board today. Oh, thanks so much for that great introduction, and uh, glad to be here. It's great to talk with you, Jeff. It's been a little while, but... Uh, Glad to talk to them baseball. Yeah. Um, and there's, hey, we got ra- races coming down the stretch. We got some day games in about an hour. So we'll get this uh, done, but then we can watch the races again. Uh, but we had a conversation. Fred Zinke and I did. We were talking. Freddie Freeman, I think, was the impetus of this. Uh, and it referred back to Mario and Rivera and talking about how we run our projections. You can do your, whichever way you do your projections, whichever every way you do your valuation, um, you need to find a way to can, find consistency or bake in volatility or lack thereof in your projections. And, you know, one of the things we dealt with is, do you just artificially boost a player's stats? And you're like, no, do not do that. Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't want to confuse when you're evaluating players, true talent to the the valuation of what you should pay for them in Mm -hmm. a draft or auction setting, right? Where you draft somebody has to do with the elements of health, the elements of consistency, the elements of, you know, do we even know, do we even know what's going on, right? You can have an injured player the year before, are they better, are they worse, new swing, like, right? There are stuff that we don't know about, but to say that, well, I think that they're, they're better. So their true talent is more. So instead of 25 homers, let's just throw another five homers, run the auction calculator and go. It's not exactly the way you want to do that. Right, because he's not going to hit 30 homers. I mean, it's just, and that that was always something I banged my head against the table on a little bit. Well, I didn't literally do that. I figuratively did so. Uh, but I, it, it's a conundrum because every year, you know, there'd be, and I use Mario Rivera as the great example of this because he was the ultimate in reliability. He may not have the most strikeouts in a year-to-year from a reliever basis. He may not have the most saves, but you always knew he was going to do what he was going to do. And there's a lot of value in that, especially at a highly volatile position like closer. Right, right. Yeah, it's the consistency is something to be said for, Um, you know, before the season started. And, you know, now it might actually seem that, that it makes sense. But before the season started, I said, you know, Freddie Freeman should be a top five pick. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to know exactly about his elements. Sure. He's not going to steal 40 bases. Um, I mean, he does almost everything fantastic, but well, in a roto setting, you, you need to get your speed. Well, actually, I don't think so. I think you need to bank stats with your top players. And there is almost nobody more reliable than Freddie Freeman uh, in each of the last six years. I believe he's returned at least a $25 value. There's nobody who you can say that about. So, 
I don't care that he doesn't have the upside of an Acuna or a Tatis if he's really going or the Jose Ramirez or the Aaron Judge to get, you know, the 60 homers. That's fine. I don't need to get that upside. When you're talking about first-round value, you're talking about banking stats, just consistency. And if you do not incorporate the consistency and the predictability of a Freddie Freeman in your pricing, right? It's not about true talent. The true talent of Freddie Freeman on average, is going to be lower than Acuna, is going to be lower than Judge, right? Judge's true talent is far greater in terms of the the power potential. But in terms of reliability and overall value, you have to incorporate that consistency when you're doing your pricing, when you're figuring out who do I want to draft. And I I had Freddie Freeman in quite a number of leagues this year because I was willing to pay the $30 value. Now, I wouldn't go to $40 on him, sure, because that – takes off some of the upside of Acuna and whatnot, mm-hmm. but bank the stats of a first round player for cheaper than mid first round all day. And not only, and and then it turns out you got your speed. Anyhow, you got 20 right. pieces from him. I mean, that, right. that was the funny thing. Uh, that was the one volatile category for him. He, he He's, you know, a lot like Paul Goldschmidt a couple of years, like, Oh, he's not going to get 12 again. Yeah. He'll get 20. Uh, it, it's, it's so funny how that worked. But I, I feel you on the concept there. I, I think that's, I just didn't have the courage to do that. I felt like, and you found a way though, in your ATC projections to try to quantify that reliability. And I think that's, that's the key without like artificially boosting a player's stats. You kind of found a different way around that there. Um, Can you explain it in terms that a layman like me could understand? Yeah. Well, it's a little bit to explain, but I'll give it, I'll give it a shot, you know, to add in these health risks. They're very, very murky, right? Mm -hmm. Have to say, how do you say plus 20 cents plus two dollars on well he got banged up last year his shoulders bothering him he's inconsistent very very hard to put a number on right what i what the atc projections does well is it it it's a better indicator of true talent because it's a it's an an aggregator right the atc looks at a bunch of different projections that are underlying good projections ATC takes better projections for better stats. So there are better projections for stolen bases. There are better projections for homers. I don't just like take a straight average, right? Which ones are better. And it's worth studying, which is what I did. But because ATC takes a lot of different opinions, right? It minimizes what's called parameter risk. It's the risk that we, we don't know what's going on. Like if, you know, if Aaron, what is Aaron judges true talent? Is it 50 homers a year? Now, obviously, he can have an outsized year, which he did last year, and you know, hitting over 60. He can have an injury-filled year. He can have a down year, right? But there's some kind of true talent. So let's say it's 45 homers. Pete Alonso, his true talent is probably 45 homers as well, right? Right. And process risk is where... Um, you know, in any given season, because there's only 162 games, sometimes you get 45, sometimes you get 40, maybe a good year you get 50, right? That's process risk. But there's the risk that you don't know what the true talent is. Maybe because we didn't have the right information. Maybe one projection system does rookies better. Maybe one projection system does power better. By incorporating a lot of different projections, it minimizes the parameter risk, that the risk that we're off from generating the true talent. But it's more than that. It also quantifies how what that parameter risk is, right? There are certain players where all the projections are pretty much in agreement. Yep, 40 homer guy, 40 homer guy, 41 homer guy, 41 homer guy. Pretty close. There's mm-hmm. some projections, I don't know, let's say some stolen base guys on the Rockies. Um, Garrett Hampson always came up over the years. Is he going to steal yep. 10 bases? Is he going to steal 30 bases? Some projections showed all over the place. I was looking at Jazz Chisholm a couple years ago. Some projections had him as a 30-30 player. Some had him as a 10-10 player, right? There are certain players that are all over the place. Um, And so when you're looking at quantifying how disparate those underlying projections are, believe it or not, it's meaningful. And if you call the risk, the parameter risk, the standard deviation of how different the, the numbers are, that actually is a risk factor that you could quantify, and it's it's meaningful. Like, it, right. the more risk, the more disparate the player, the less sure we are about the true talent, you should be dinging that player's value, right? Um, I also have another concept, which actually, believe it or not, is more of powerful. It's called skewness. So 
to tell you what skewness is, if you know, there are some projections where it's pretty consistent. Everybody has, you know, 40 homer for whatever the stat is, but there's one projection that's off. Just mm-hmm. one. if you only have one projection that's off, you should almost ignore it. So if the projection is low, which is what a, a negative skew, that means that, you know what, if I didn't, if I threw that out, the average would be higher. You can almost do that. And skewness tells you how much to do that. A guy like George Kirby, George Kirby this year was modeling fantastic. Other than in one or two projections, the ATC skewness told you, you know what, ignore those two. Add another $3 to George Kirby and you'll be satisfied. Uh, Adley Rutschman also came up as a negative skew. I mean, and that, that's, that's crazy because uh, he's a rookie, right? You usually don't get this kind of skewness. But Adley Rutschman, hey, go the extra buck. So, th- you know, it doesn't always work. But on average, the trend line is very predictive that if you follow some of these deviations in skewness that ATC produces, you can actually quasi add a risk factor and risk adjust all your pricing. Do you think there's more skewness, more uh, volatility on younger players just because we have less data? Absolutely. Yes. Every time you have a younger player, the the projections are going to disagree more. For mature players who've played seven years, the, it's it's experience-based. You look at mm-hmm. last year. You look at the year before. Now, every projection system has a different weighting. Some will take 60% last year. Some will take 50. Some will take park factors more. But, you know, you you're, you have something to go by. You're using major league data. When you have rookies who have just played one year, you're interpreting minor league data. You're interpreting ballpark. Some some projections don't even have anything. They just take the average major leaguer and call that a projection, right? Right. Uh, so yes, for there is a lot more volatility, uh, and and as there should be, right? You should be discounting rookies for the unknown. Mm-hmm. So you know, and the thing is, a couple of things. You know, we were talking before the show uh, started that hey, we had a normal year this year. Finally, we didn't have we didn't have COVID. We didn't have a lockout. We didn't have happy fun ball. We did have new rules this year, but we had, for the most part, a normal season under the normal time frame. Uh, so the minor leagues also had all sorts of skewed data, too. I mean, it, it was an extra layer. It's already difficult to project guy uh, players with one year worth of major league play or, or, or a half season, even even worse. The Brett Laurie problem, as I like to refer to it as, because I bombed that one badly, um, you know. The minor leagues are just even crazier. I mean, you had a whole 2020 season where there was no minor league data. I mean, it was, it was crazy. We had extended training camps. We had, you know, off-site, you know, training sites and all that. Um, try, and then the leap between AAA and the majors was huge for a while. Now maybe it's leveled off a little bit there. Maybe we can get a little bit more reliability there, too. Yeah. I, I think of a guy like uh, Nico Horner on the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the best example I can think of where the fact that you did not have minor league stats yeah. and, and when he actually was available, he was hurt. So his minor league stats were either non-existent when he should have been in his AAA prime or hurt. So they were lousy. All the projection systems for year after year following that had him as just a, eh, whatever player he's, you know, just some run of the mill guy, but, because there was no data, it, it hurt him, and yep. he was well under under projected for years. And that's finally going to make its way as you have his good major league seasons come and reliability is up. But yeah, that it, not having the minor leagues and having wonky data just gave fits on you know. And, and it's not just a general thing; it's it's all different examples of of different types of players where there are problems. And you look at it in a whole. Projection accuracy did go down a little bit over the last couple of years. I suspect it's going to get better, but you you never know because, I mean, the Rays are, are doing their Rays things. Other teams are going to follow. The more wonky uh, situations that we follow, that it's not the norm of baseball, yep. the, you know, if usage goes, then all bets are off. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, on the... You know, is, is it uh, easier to find, uh, like, to kind of measure out, like, the volatility for hitters versus pitchers? Uh, it, it, you know, trying to incorporate that into your valuation. So, in terms of the way that I do my um, process risk parameter risk, the, the uh, interprojection volatility numbers and the skew, uh, formulaically, it's really the same. 
Okay. Uh, and te- and technically speaking, I could actually do it on a by statistic basis, right? Because technically there are projections that are up or down for each stolen base versus uh, pitcher strikeouts. Uh, I do it on a whole as a total value. So formulaically, it's really the same. But in terms of uh, what in terms of what you're getting in terms of the the correlation and the predictive power, uh, it really depends on the price tier for for hitters. There's a bigger consistency um, on on the uh, on, on the top and pitchers. There's a bigger consistency uh, in term in ter- not consistency um, predictability in terms of the middle. You get some wonky results at the top and the bottom, okay. whereas hitters, it's a little bit better all over the curve in terms of its predictability. If that if that makes sense, it does. It does. We're talking with Ariel Cohen. Uh, he does the ATC projections. You can follow him, of course, on Twitter at ATCNY. You can read his work at a number of different places, uh, including Fan Fangraphs, uh, CBS, Rotoballer. He hosts the Beat the Shift Pod. Uh, should listen to that as well. So there's a lot of good stuff there. Ariel, uh, let let's talk about uh, some of the players involved this year, and and you know what we can look forward to them going forward uh, to future years there in terms of like, okay, is this something bankable? Is this something that's volatile there? Who are some of the the hitters that you think should be, that should score well in terms of this uh, volatility index? Yeah. So uh, the, the other, the other thing that I didn't mention aside from the projections volatility is the, uh, uh, it's called uh, dimension volatility. It's uh, mm-hmm. I call it in- intra projection uh, standard deviation, where uh, five category players uh, versus the single category players. Yeah. You know, it, it's not so much a risk factor. It's so much uh, it's a risk of the value crippling your fantasy baseball team. Now, mm-hmm. if 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 you have a guy, obviously, if if <laughs> if Ronald Acuna goes down, you know, uh, uh, injury. Obviously, that's going to be a, a large deficit to you. But if you had, for example, Esturi Ruiz, right, uh-huh. and you're counting on him for a gazillion steals, and, and you bank that into what you drafted, you're going to be totally unbalanced whether if, if he's out, right? If, mm-hmm. if he underperforms or is out, it's going to have an outsized effect on your fantasy roto team where somebody could have a similar value and is more spread out Take a guy like Christian Yelich, right? Yelich is pretty straight out in the category. Sure, obviously you're losing the value. You don't want to lose players. But if you lose him, you're not crippled in any one category. You can find value on the waiver wire to replace parts of it, right? right. Guys up, the guys up top who are very interesting to me are all the five category players. Kyle Tucker, uh, again, pretty reliable, bankable every year, and so spread out categorically. Every year, he's going to get his requisite steals. He's going to get his requisite power and runs. How about Ozzy Albies? Ozzy Albies yeah. always comes in every category. Yeah. Uh, Luis, Luis Robert. Robert's a little bit more of an injury risk, but categorically and in terms of true talent, he's definitely a bankable guy. Those are the types of guys that if they're at the right price, uh, and not just right price, they could be a little bit more expensive. If Ozzy Albies even goes more expensive, you should want to put the extra dollar because whereas risk factors ding you, the fact that he's spread out categorically actually adds, right? You, you would want to go the extra dollar or two to get an Ozzy Albies to be protected categorically. So those are the type of guys, guys who I'd probably stay away from, the one-dimensional guys. We mentioned Ruiz, but like C.J. Abrams, good talent, but – the the categorical spread is pretty bad. He's very imbalanced in the stolen bases. And, you know, if he's hurt or if he has a bad year, you're just missing in a single category. So th- those are the types of things that I look for as well. You know, and I, I think it's often the stolen base artists are the ones that drag that are the, the most volatile. I mean, your article uh, cited Alberto Mondesi, who is the ultimate example of yeah. that. Um, can it be the other way around, like a, a hitter that doesn't run? Uh, let, let's like Corey Seager, for instance, is, is someone that we've talked about a lot on this show. Um, he's had two injury stretches this year, and yet he's still like producing second or third round value uh, because of the high batting average, the power and all that. But is there a possibility that his his lack of speed, you know, taking away that one category drags him down a little bit? Uh, yes, in general. I mean, for him, it's just one category that drags you down. Four True. out of five ain't bad. How about a guy like Luis Arias, 
Yes, I Luis, was thinking about it. I was looking him up while we were talking, actually. Yeah, Luis Arias helps you in batting average, and and, and that's it. I yep. mean, maybe maybe runs because he bat, bats leadoff gets on, but he's he's not just not helping. He's a hurt in RBIs, power. He doesn't steal anything. He's a detriment there. Um, those guys are bad, but whereas whereas it's not – whereas a guy at the top who who's going to get injured or so – you know, it, it, it's it's going to pull your value. It's tough. He's less of a problem as long as he's discounted. He's the prime example that because he's not categorically spread, you have to ding him for the risk factor of not being spread. But it's not as much that you need to roster him. If you have a nice roster around him and he's still at a discount, right? If he's a discount below the risk adjustment, he's still going to earn value. I have him on a couple of teams this year. Mm-hmm. Sure, he's a detriment elsewhere, but because I got him well under what his value is, all considering, he still helps you. So I'm not looking to draft him. I'm dinging his numbers, but if he's around, I have no hesitation taking him. Like I'm, I'm not worried about taking a guy like that. I just prefer not to unless there's a huge discount. Sure, absolutely. Um, we're going to talk about a couple more specific examples, but first, we're on the Blue Wire Network. Here's one of their ads. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Appreciate your patience with that. Um, Thanks to the Blue Wire Network for hosting us. We did a couple shows from their studio in Vegas when we had our summer trip there, Rotowire summer trip to Vegas. An awesome, awesome studio, and we thank them for being on their channel all year long. Um, with Ariel Cohen, uh, you can check him out at ATCNY on Twitter. I'm still calling it Twitter. I'm not calling it X. It's, <laughs> it's going to be a while before I switch over to that. And I think it's funny because I feel like, at least in my circle, everybody still calls it Twitter. Uh, but anyhow, uh, that aside, uh, let's you know, on the pitching side of things, does this, uh, you know, this trying to find the balance, try that attempt to find the, the take strip out a little volatility. Does that steer you away from paying top dollar for closers? Yeah. So the closers uh, other than the steals guys are the category that you're going to find very high one dimensionalness, right? Yep. But, it's, but the problem is it's by definition, if you're a closer, Absolutely. you're not helping in wins, right? You're not helping in the strikeouts uh, unless you're like an Edwin Diaz and getting like a, like a fourth starters worth right. of strikeouts. Right. Uh, which is why, by the way, I, I, I owned Edwin Diaz in like almost every league, unfortunately this year. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was the right player, you know, wrong situation. Uh, but yes, th- that's the problem. Um, the, the thing, though, about about saves is that you need them. It's it's a category that you unless you're going to take a zero, which is not a great idea. You need them. So it's not just about looking at it in totality as a risk. It's about getting not as great a risk or getting a bigger relative discount to the market. So, you know, when I was doing my auctions earlier in the year and I was in an NFBC auction, I was prepared that, oh, my God, closers would be ridiculous. Like my value sheet said that the top closer was $17 or $18, and mm-hmm. yet they're going for 26 Now, you can say, oh, my God, that's too much, and you miss out on everybody, and then you're going to end up with some scraps. But I didn't want to do that. If everybody's paying that market premium of – you know, seven, eight dollars above. I'm okay with paying a market premium 
just less. So I looked for which closer was only $6 over instead of eight. Sure. Um, happened to be in my auction. I had Batista who was, you know, maybe my value sheet said 11 and he went for 16. So yippee, I pay only five over, but <laughs> f- right. Right. But five over is better than seven. You know, auction prices are not static. It's not like a guy is worth X. It's all relative to each other. And the the better people, when you're looking at an auction, catch on quickly to what the market premium is. Is it seven over for closers? Is it six over? You just want to pay lower. Uh, So I don't use my concepts of volatility in talking about closers because they're all going to be volatile by definition. Yeah. And yet, and and the thing is, we don't have a Rivera or a Hoffman right now uh, at the the position that perennially is there. Uh, It's we're in a unique time. DS is as close as it gets. And obviously he got hurt. Right. Um, and so that, that, that was interesting there. I, I, it's funny because I have a team that's very competitive. That's it's a Rotowire staff keeper league, 18 team keeper league. I'm last place in stolen bases. Didn't mean to punt it, but kind of morphed into that. And I didn't pay for uh, saves at the auction table. I added over the course of the season. I've been able to add pretty nicely in trades and all that. But point is I, my, my auction dollars were, you know, flow to the multi-category players on both sides of the coin. And that's worked out pretty well. Also, I have a $3 Spencer Strider. That also tends to do well. Let's, let's be <laughs> honest. Let, let's that that's uh, something that also works out pretty well. Um, So you know, don't give myself too much credit there. So this is really the takeaway, always the takeaway. But uh, yeah, I, 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 it's kind of a revelation though. Like I, I get stuck in such an NFBC mentality where there's an overall contest and I can't afford to be down in any one category that sometimes I, when I go to other leagues, I kind of take that in. I'm like, wait a second. I don't have to be that way. Yeah, you don't have to be. I mean, obviously, if the right situation came up and I'm in the middle of the auction or middle of the season and it ain't going well. Yeah, you change course and you say punt. When I was in the NFB, even in the NFBC, when I was in that auction earlier and prices were going and people were going 27, 26 for closers. I, I, I was looking around. I said to myself. Should I punt? Like I, I really considered punting, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it is a, it is a strategy. Again, you don't want to start out with it because you're guaranteeing yourself a zero. It's not like stolen bases. If you punt and quote unquote punt and stolen bases, you're you're not going to end up with zero. You're going to end up with fifty, right? Where the top team's going to have 140, but you can get fifty, and you could get a, a a steal or two. You can get a good waiver wire pick and make make mm-hmm. your way. Saves are different. If you punt, it's a zero, zero, zero. So, I, you know, I, I tend not to do that. I, I'd, I'd rather give it a try, get three points. I don't know. Yeah. Pick guys off the waiver, take take a two $5 closers, and what the hell? Like, I, I don't think punting is a good strategy to start with for, for the saves category. I, I tend to agree. Um, I, I think that I think you're right about that. And I think it was a unique situation too in the, the, this auction because you know first of all you started with a lot of keeper closers locked up as keepers too, um, so that takes them off the board and you know you know keeper keeper inflation keeper auctions are a whole different ball of uh, wax there because you got in, the inflation factor and certain categories can be inflated more than others not just inflate inflation sure. doesn't apply evenly it applies right. to certain positions certain categories you know your league tendencies all these things come into play. Sure. I mean, also you had 18 teams, yes. pretty deep, pretty deep league. If you have a 10 team or 12 team league, I mean, there's no, there's no reason you, you have the exactly. average of three closers, a team, you know, exactly, exactly right here. Um, other than that, you know, I think there are, I, I tend to want to be less volatile, uh, but are there situations where you, maybe you want to embrace that volatility? Maybe you're in a keeper league and you're in a rebuilding phase. Maybe you want to kind of steer into that a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, if you're in a keeper league, obviously you're not looking at a one season. You're looking at building up talent, and you know how do you build up talent? You give shots. I mean, just not comparable, but you know, I I have my own recreational softball team, and every year we take on two, two, three new guys, a couple of young guys. Mm-hmm. All right, give them a shot. If they're bad, all right, well they won't come back next year. If they're good you can end up with a gem and that goes. So the volatility of the new guy, of course you want. So absolutely in a, in a keeper league. Uh, but in general, it depends where on the curve price wise as to what you want to do with volatility. Sure. At, at the very top, you want it to be close to zero. I'd rather like if, if you guarantee me and said, you know what, Ariel, you can have Ronald Acuna or I will give you just a bank $25 of value. Right. 
Just give me 25. I will take the 25. Like I, I don't need the upside. I'll bank it. But if you're at the bottom, if you're at, you know, in the $5 range, $1, $7 range, uh, you want more volatility. Actually. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, but the reason is that the the negatives are capped, especially especially for hitters, right? If if you have a hitter who's bad, so he hurts you in one category because he's killing your batting average. You can cut him next week. The opportunity cost is really low. Who cares? The point is that you're not getting a negative twenty dollar value out of the player. You're going to cut him before he goes into that. So the upside is ten dollars, but the downside isn't negative 15 it's zero. So mm-hmm. you actually want the more volatility. I'd rather take the guy who has a range of 10 to negative 10 than the guy who's for sure going to get three, right? You want that. So it, it depends really on the range. Also, it, if you're constructing a fantasy baseball team, it really depends on the rest of your team. If you put together a very highly volatile team, I'd want a couple of low value guys to really keep some of the just here's a ballast here's some bankable stats if you have a very very safe team up top absolutely throw your darts right it depends on the construct of your team also i like that i like that a lot um let's talk about some specific players we you know aaron judge is a highly volatile guy you referred to him a couple of times we i feel like this was the obvious play to fade him this year um and yet because, you know, for years he was going in the third round. All of a sudden he has his best year. He's by by and large the, the, the number one player in fantasy baseball. So he's a top five player automatically. Should we have dinged him a little bit more than we did? Um. Well, I, <laughs> I, I think that people have this uh, recency bias of, yes, well, He's he was the best player, so he must be the best player going forward, not realizing that there is a range of outcomes of him and that likely was at his top. Why do people buy players at the very top? I I, I don't understand that. You want to buy players at the bottom, right? I I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, I I, how about Marcus Semyon? Here's my, my, my example. Marcus Semyon has bounced around before he got really good the last couple of years. He'd always bounce around. I always had him as a he's a twelve dollar player going for five dollars. He was a fifteen dollar player going for seven. One year he had a really good year, made me look smart. Then his value went up, and I said, "Wait a minute, forget it. He's a twelve dollar player going for seventeen, right? He's going right. higher. Still that same twelve dollar player. So I didn't buy him. Then of course he sunk and became badly. Now's your buying opportunity. So." It, it, I mean, I think we know what Judge is. I think we know his range of outcomes, which are potentially huge and not. But if you're going to buy him at that threshold of the number four player in baseball, you're going to lose out on average. It's a bad play. The thing, though, is that in an auction, it's easy to get around it. You just have to change your distribution of dollars. In a draft, it's a little bit harder. It because, is. Yeah, because, you, you, you know, you know he's a potential to get there. And you don't want to throw out value by getting, you know, somebody lower. But the thing is, you should. Like when I said Freddie Freeman is is a top five player in a draft, as silly as it sounds, even though you're throwing out some expected value, you should do that for the risk purposes. So I think people do tend to overbuy some of that recency bias and should really give risk a lot bigger thought. Yeah, and the thing is, like, the difference between an auction and draft is, okay, so you're not valuing Judge as number four, but you have to take somebody at number four. Correct. You have to spend the $45 equivalent. Uh, yet, So who are you going to spend it on is the question. Right. And you can, but if you do KDS, of course, you can move your slot around. And we've talked yep. about this before. Yep. I don't like to pick in the top four picks. I like to pick in the middle for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is I don't want to have that $40 slot. I want to come up with closer to $30 because I don't want to see that much value on a guy that I, you want to take him, right? You want to take judge, but you know, you shouldn't. And you feel like you, you have to uh, don't do that. Pick later on. So you don't have to see that value. Who is this year's judge? Um, It's hard to say, you know, I mean, Matt Olson comes to mind, but mm-hmm. Matt Olson is just consistent. And even if he doesn't, you know, have that ridiculous power spike that he did this year. He's still in that fantastic lineup. He's still going to bank those yeah. runs and stuff. So I, I, I can't <laughs> say it. Yeah. It's tough. 
It, it's really tough because Olsen, I mean, I think the batting average is the thing with Hol- him. He's in 279 this year. Yeah. That's I mean, Sho- Shohei Otani comes to mind. Yeah. Shohei Otani comes to mind, uh, assuming he's the DH only type of guy. Yeah. Um, I, maybe Corbin Carroll. Uh, look, obviously, he, he's fantastic. He, he hits on all cylinders, but he's still going to be a sophomore. I can't give him full reliability, uh, but Shohei Otani to me is, is the Aaron judge. If you're going to put it that way, uh, he, he's, you know, he's top five value right now. I, I wouldn't bet on that again. And of course we, we don't know how the TJ surgery will interact. Like he's going to be right. playing through TJ surgery. Has there ever been a precedent for that? Not really. I mean, we can look at Harper this year. I mean, it's basically our example, yeah. right? Okay. Um, there you go. And there was a long stretch where Bryce Harper wasn't hitting for power this year, you know, and he came back in record time too. So let's, let's keep that in mind also that even for a position player, he came back in record time, which is pretty good on him for the team, but maybe not good on his production. I, I want to be all over Bryce Harper next year, um, right, right. but uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll throw one name out. He, he won't be a top five player. No one's going to pay that price, but they might pay second round price. And that's Cody Bellinger. Uh, been a wonderful player this year 310 of course we know the batting average volatility with him uh we don't even know where he's going to be next year but say he resigns with the cubs that's a happy ending you know you know because that's where he got his hat you know he, he resurfaced his career i mean there's a wide range of outcomes for cody bellinger yeah and and we've seen them all we've seen the mvp you know from a couple of years ago yeah we've seen we've seen the lulls the question is you know wh- why were they the lulls was it an injury was it that mm-hmm. shoulder injury um if you can make the case that it's it then you can make the case that he's really being back to being this kind of relevant uh and and you can make the case to push i'm really curious to see what projections are going to have him as uh, yep. because the projections are going to take into account it's still recent enough to take into account some of those arguments yeah. um i i would bet that adp is going to be above projections so uh it's going to be curious i'll probably not be buying for that reason next year but I, I will give it a thought because if projections are wrong because they've incorporated bad data, you want to know that. And by the way, that you know, I people who just take straight projections, that's a fallacy. Projections are the best thing you can get, but you have to always know what's in them. And if you know that there's a blind spot, you have to know how to say, okay, this is a projection for Bellinger, but that incorporated two years ago where there was a problem that really needs to change, and he's higher than he did. You have to have the foresight to know how to use projections. Sure, of course. And like if you just use straight up projections this year, you missed out on him. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. yeah. So I mean, you miss out on upside sometimes when you especially with with volatile players. I mean, that's the whole point though. I mean, you, you sometimes and this is like you said, price points where you composition of the rest of your roster, et cetera, et cetera. Uh that, that can be uh, uh you know a, a tough point, a, a tough sticking point there. Uh we're gonna talk about Ariel's Mets here in a second, but first you gotta take care of a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of uh, business here with our friends at Home Run Index. We know the weather can impact how far a ball can fly, but we never know what all that heat and humidity or cold air is really doing to the ball. Ariel probably does, but most people don't. The Home Run Forecast Index gives us an easy way to determine how good or bad the air is for ball flight. The index is calculated by measuring stadium-specific weather conditions and is displayed on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being the most unfavorable for good ball flight and 10 indicating the most favorable air. There is a strong correlation between the index and the number of runs scored per game and the number of home runs hit. Games that have the highest index, 10 for the whole game, average over 10 runs and 2.8 homers over the course of the year. An index is created for each game, so you can see what it will be in any stadium and how the weather's influence might change over the course of the game, as well as the wind direction. Right now, you can get access to the HRF Premium site for only $5 a month and see what the index will look like for every hour of every game. Go to homerunforecast.com now to sign up. Thanks to Home Run Index for their sponsorship. I'm here with Ariel Cohen. Uh, Ariel is a Mets fan. Uh, last week, I had Ian Kahn on the show. He is a Yankees fan. I made Ian try to you know, put him to task on rebuilding the Yankees. Ariel, I'm going to do the same to you. Make you uh, put, you know, uh, instead instead of their recent GM hire, instead of David Stearns, they hired Ariel Cohen to rebuild the Mets. What does Ariel Cohen do to rebuild the Mets and try to get them competitive again? Well, they passed over me for Stearns. Oh, my goodness. I know. Uh, terrible. <laughs> what, an, what, what an insult. Uh, no, it's all good. It's all good. Um, yeah, well, you know, the problem with the Mets this year wasn't really the hitting. Uh, it was more the pitching. Uh, their hitting mm-hmm. was, you know, uh, I, I'm not going to say a top team, but they were in the top half of the league. Um, they have an exciting core. I mean, Mauricio looks good so far. Beatty 
seemed like an everyday player. Uh, Vientos can play. They've got, you know, Francisco Alvarez, a catcher, and they've got another great catching prospect coming up. I mean, they, they, they're, they're loaded there. Um, it could use some outfield help. They've got Nimmo, who's, you know, probably going to be a value in the next couple of years. They could definitely use outfield help. So, uh, and of course, uh, Lindor is locked up, of course. The yeah. Mets have to lock up Pete Alonso. That's number one. And I understand that, you know, it's hard to lock up, and he's not that unique a player in terms of his war because he's just a first baseman. He's not hitting 280. He's hitting, on average, 250. He had a down year. I actually thought he would do much better than this year. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's consistent, you know, 45 home run power. But from a perspective, the Mets need the fans motivated. And to lose him, uh, it, it that, that would be bad. Um, he could end up being the Mets' all-time home run leader. That could be something that kids talk about. Um, it's, you know, you talk about uh, the intangibles. It, it's a very important to the franchise, I think, to to sign him. And he's not, and you, and you know what you're getting out of Alonzo. He's He's very predictable in terms of performance. Uh, and he's probably better than he was this year. So um, you got you to gotta resign him. And then we're talking about getting a guy in the outfield, uh, you know, for next year if, if you're going to make a plan to run. Uh, the, the issue is with the pitching. Um, their, their bullpen was not fortified enough. Uh, I don't care what you say. It's, it's bullpen, bullpen, bullpen. Look at the Rays. I mean, they just they take crappy relievers from other teams, turn them into studs. They don't care if pitchers don't go more than five innings because they're just going to mix and match. Who's the closer? Who cares? It's everybody. Um, you just need arms, arms and arms and arms. And they're often not that expensive, so it's not a money thing either. It's just having the foresight uh, right. to do it. Well, look at this year. and like Robert Stevenson, Sean Armstrong, Jake Deacon. Yeah. These are guys – Cast off from the Pirates, cast off from the White Sox. I mean, I, Armstrong yeah. at one point was with the O's. I, I don't even know where he was last year. He might have been with the Rays last year. But point is, these are unheralded names, and they, they're studs this year. Yeah. Um, and that that's the thing that really, you know, Fairbanks was a throw-in and a trade. Uh, and he's just lights out. And you don't have to pay top dollar for closers, but you do have to have a, a developmental system or you have to have an eye for undervalued talent, certain, certain things. Maybe it's just their emphasis on spin. I'm not, whatever it is that the Rays do, yeah. it works. Yeah. I mean, the talk of spending, you know, 50 million a season on Otani. Why? I, I'd rather see that and give, you know, a bunch of $7 million dart relievers. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I'd rather, I'd rather invest in that. They're cheaper and it's quantity. I mean, it's not, it's not quantity over quality, but, it's quantity till you sift out who is the, the reliable sources. And you have Edwin Diaz at the base, so you have something there. Sure. Um, but it's also starters. You need enough innings. Um, relying on Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, let's get a, let's get a bunch of 40-year-old 40 40 uh, guys. That's not the way to do it. You need to build young. You need to, to, to sign the young guys. Um, the Mets needed to really trade for a couple of promising starters going forward. I'd like to see them do that a little bit more. Um, you know, sign guys on the younger side. We don't need anything flashy. We're talking about guys who are just going to earn innings. And, you know, if you have that bullpen, you don't need people to go deeper, deeper than five. Like, look at Zach Eflin at the back to the Rays. The Rays signed Eflin. You know, they turned him into a top guy. Um, you know, he's not getting an, an insurmountable amount of innings, not throwing 200 innings, but he's throwing 160, 170 yep. quality stuff, keeping the team into it. You need you to find that kind of core. It's easier said than done. Um, and, you know, the Mets have started retooling with all those trades, so they're looking good. I just wish they would focus a little bit more on the starting pitching because you need innings to get through it. That's, that's their weakness this year. Yeah, I thought they did well at the deadline. I think they identified that there were not that many sellers out there. There were, And they could and I think the pitching market in particular, I think you it netted pretty decent returns. I mean, the Robertson train, heck, he's not even the closer for the Marlins anymore. Um, yeah, I thought that was uh, that was, I, I, you know, that's that's like straight out of the Billy Bean playbook. Always trade your closer, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, <laughs> you're trading your closer who was older and who ate all those innings. What do you think you were, you were going to get from him the last uh, couple of months? Scherzer, he's not even pitching anymore. I mean, right. why in the world did they trade for him for the postseason? He's not even going to pitch. Uh, I mean, they got rid of just a ton of money. Of course, they shouldn't have signed those guys in the first place, yeah. but uh, they, they did a good job of getting rid of them, and they're going to have to continue. I, I'm not resigned that they're giving up on next year. 
because I think there's enough of a core to do something. And you never know. You find your way into it. The wild card, you're good. You make a good trade in the middle of the season to fortify your rotation. You're in it. Uh, but just keep churning that type of thing. Churning, churning till you find what works. Kodai Senga has been fantastic, uh, especially over the last three to four months. What are you doing with him next year? Yeah, I mean, so Senga, I, I was worried going into the season because, you know, he looked like he has, like, reliever stuff with two pitches, but he's been absolutely fantastic. That ERA is now sub three. Um, he's just getting it done. He's lasting into games. His strikeout rate is pretty decent. I mean, he's going to have almost 200 strikeouts by yeah. all yeah, all said and done. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say he's an anchor, but he's at least a number two pitcher. I mean, you can definitely survive with him as your number two. I think he goes maybe top in the in, in FBC main event. We'll say so top 75 overall. Um, you think he goes that high? In the NFBC, yes, because uh, pitchers are pushed up. Yes. He's, you know, uh, was it Paul Spore who always talks about the blob or the in the middle? Mm-hmm. He's firmly he's firmly in the blob. He's not an afterthought now. Um, would you rather have him or like Logan Webb? I think I'd, well, I think I'd go Senga because of the Ks. Um, I mean, yeah. Webb is probably safer in terms of, we were talking volatility here earlier in the show. Um Webb is probably more bankable now in terms because he's done it for three or four years, but that's that we're only holding Senga's lack of that. That's only because we've only seen Senga in the major leagues for one year. I mean, it seems like an unfair standard. I mean, he can never win that comparison. Um, I think I'm going Senga. It's it's close. I, I I think they're very similar in range, which is why I mentioned him. Yeah. Um, but you do have the those bankable strikeouts, which are good. Uh, que- the question, of course, is is he going to be overpriced or not? Um, he might be overpriced because he had such a good year. Uh, yeah. but you know, higher whip. Is, that's the one thing. He does walk more guys. That yeah. is a slight concern. Yeah, I like to have the low whip guys because you can yeah, work around too. it. But um, he's a high whip guy, but he's still. You know, he's still banking that those stats like he's still, uh, you know, his his FIP still looks good. It, it's not like he's getting lucky. He's he's really doing this. Yeah. Spencer Strider has got 270 strikeouts so far. Orders is he, he's, he's well above the pack as far as that goes. Are you going to spend a top five pick on him? Because that's what it's going to cost to get him. Yeah, uh, that that's a question. That that is a possibility. I'm not I'm not against that. Uh, he's so far above that glob to be meaningful that you can bank on first round return. I mean, the value of an ace pitcher, knowing that you have the ace is massive. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, and I mean, go back a couple of years ago when you had the Kershaw and sales and those guys and you, you, you bought them for a high amount and they would always return that first round value. Yeah. Strider might be one of the only few to be part of that as a starting pitcher, which makes him unique. And I like unique and bankable. So yes, he's a consideration for the top five for me as well. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it's he, he him and Cole every year. I mean, it's that way. And it's like that there's, there's something to be said and, for and that. wins. The yeah. thing is, is wins are very fickle these days. Yeah, they are. And he's on a good team. So what are you not getting out of him? Uh, he, he has some ERA blow ups here and there. He has mm-hmm. those sometimes those fits, but uh, I mean, there's such a massive value that's bankable that, yeah, he's definitely a consideration for top five. He has to be. I think so too. Um, I, any other uh, noteworthy Mets you wanted to point out? I know it was Strider. I kind of went astride there, but aside there, but uh, any other Mets we should be keeping an eye out for next year? Anything in the last month or so that you've seen that's like, hey, people are kind of sleeping on this guy. Yeah, I like Mauricio. I think Mauricio has has uh, a power. I think the uh, the exit velocity on him looks really good, and he's still young. He's still filling out. Uh, he's a guy could grow. Uh, maybe Andres Jimenez is is a uh, a guy that reminds me a former Met also that you know really built that power. Mm-hmm. I can see that happening. The Mets really need to get rid of Jeff McNeil. Um, and let him play second base, Mauricio. Uh, McNeil is just – the Mets signed him right after he won the batting title. Why, yeah. why, would, you do, why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Talk about paying peak value for a guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. such an easy concept. The guy is like – I hope Stearns doesn't, doesn't do this. Yeah. Um, it, it's an emotional attachment thing, though, too, right? You've got a fan base like, how can you let McNeil go? I, I get it. But, yeah, I, I, 
I hear you on that. Uh, Ariel, always a pleasure talking with you. It's enlightening. It was fun. Um, when's the next Beat the Shift podcast coming out? So we're done for the regular season. Okay. Take a little break. Uh, but we're going to do uh, postseason wrap-ups. We'll have an episode in uh, early October. Uh, one, maybe two episodes where we'll talk about what went right, what went wrong, looking forward next season. And uh, hopefully we'll do a live episode from First Pitch in Arizona nice. like we usually do. That That's always a lot of fun. So a uh, couple of off-season episodes, and we'll, we'll, we'll be cranking you know, mid-December, just getting everybody ready, uh, talking about all the strategies and going through positions and – uh, we, on the Beat the Shift podcast, we do more strategy than anything else. It's the you can know the players and you know everything, but you got to know how to execute, how much to pay, and when to execute. So we focus on that, which I think is needed. Yeah, uh, and I can't wait to see you at First Pitch Arizona. I uh, love that you you're your regular out there now. Um, it's it's for, and for people who haven't gone, check it out. It's a very welcoming community. Uh, it's been expanding in recent years. Uh, it should be a blast this year. Uh, just, just go, uh, just Google first pitch, Arizona, go to baseballhq.com. They do a great job of running it. Ariel and I will both be presenting there. So, uh, Ariel, as always, it's a joy talking with you. Good luck on your stretch run teams. And, uh, we'll talk again soon. Likewise. Same to you. Good luck. All right. Ariel Cohen, everybody at ATCNY on Twitter, beat the shift podcast. You can see him on Fangraphs, CBS, Rotoballer, you name it. Uh, check, just start with his Twitter account. And you can go from there and see everything he does. We're going to want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Uh, tomorrow, we got two star stars with Clay and Todd. Thanks for listening to the RotoWire podcast. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.